Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to worship you today, uh, last night and today. Uh, your word says you inhabit the praises of your people. And so we were blessed to have your presence with us last night and this evening as we worshiped your name. Would you be with us this evening? Uh, lead us and guide us into all truth. Your word is truth. Would you show us some things tonight that we need to see and we need to take away for ourselves uh, from your word tonight? We ask for that and pray for it, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, 2 Samuel. We're still in the monarchy. 1 King. Good. Yeah, you thought it was a trick question. No, Saul. David, we got one more, Solomon. Okay, but right now we're in David's reign, and so the question is, you know, the, uh, there's a famous question that says, what think ye of Jesus? You know, what think ye of Absalom? If you had a chance to read those chapters, uh, three words for Absalom, taking Loss and pain. Taking loss and pain. This was some years ago. The shareholders, you know who Bill Gates is, right? Microsoft. The shareholders a number of years ago were demanding Bill Gates' removal from Microsoft because of their greed. Bill has too much money, so we need to get it, and so he needs to go. That's what the shareholders are saying. In business, or in businesses, one partner taking clients or projects or accounts with him or her and starting a competing business. Ever heard of such a thing? How about in churches? I know of a case where the associate, the associate pastor worked it, so the senior pastor believed leaving was better than staying. What did that allow him to do? <laughs> Take over. Uh, in a nonprofit, there was a founding member of a nonprofit was voted off that organization's board and taken out of its ministry for no other reason than they just didn't like him. Taking loss, pain, these are things that surround David with respect to Absalom. In 2 Samuel 15 through 19, the scene, the, the spotlight or the new scene on our play opens up. Absalom is now walking in the worst part of David's 60-ish year old footsteps. Amnon has been murdered by Absalom for taking Tamar, and Absalom is now in the gate deceitfully taking the nation. David's private agony is now in the public eye. 
the question is, will David respond with Saul's tight-fisted kind of heart? Remember Saul? When God was taking the kingdom away from him? Did Saul say, whatever? No. Saul fought God and tried to cling to what he thought was supposed to be his, not letting it go. So the question is, will David respond like Saul, or will this pain that David is going through reveal a different kind of heart in David? You know, the the truth is, if you'll think about it, you know, a sponge, you fill a sponge with water, and you squeeze the sponge. If you imagine that the squeeze is the squeeze of painful circumstances, the truth is whatever's in our heart comes out in the squeeze, for good or for bad. When the hand of painful circumstances squeezes that sponge, whatever comes out is what was in the heart. We saw what came out of Saul's heart. What the author wants us to see is what's going to come out of David's heart. Revealing the heart of God when your own heart is in pain is the big idea of tonight's lesson. Revealing the heart of God when your own heart is in pain. What I want to do is walk through 15 through 19, kind of uh, sort of paragraphs at a time here. In case you didn't get to read the story, you need to hear the story, and then we'll kind of pick up with uh, some thoughts. So chapter 15 picks up where, remember in the end of 14, uh, David summoned Absalom who came and bowed low before the king, and the king kissed him. That's where we've left off with David and Absalom. After this, Absalom bought a chariot and horses, and he hired 50 bodyguards to run ahead of him. He got up early every morning and went out to the gate of the city. When people brought a case to the king for judgment, Absalom would ask where in Israel they were from, and they would tell him their tribe. Then Absalom would say, you've got a really strong case here. It's too bad the king doesn't have anyone to hear it. I wish I were the judge. Then everyone could bring their cases to me for judgment, and I would give them justice. You've heard the phrase before, Absalom in the gate? Here's Absalom in the gate. When people tried to bow before him, Absalom wouldn't let them. Instead, he took them by the hand and kissed them. Absalom did this with everyone who came to the king for judgment. And so he stole the hearts of all the people of Israel. After four years, four years, Absalom said to the king, right, he's been stealing the kingdom with the people. Now what's he doing? He's going to go steal the kingdom from his father. So after four years, Absalom said to the king, let me go to Hebron to offer a sacrifice to the Lord and fulfill a vow I made to him. Probably a lie. 
For while your servant was at Geshur in Aram, I promised to sacrifice to the Lord in Hebron if he would bring me back to Jerusalem. Hebron is the site where David was first crowned king. All right, the king told him, go and fulfill your vow. So Absalom went to Hebron. But while he was there, he sent secret messengers to all the tribes of Israel to stir up a rebellion against the king. As soon as you hear the ram's horn, his message read, you are to say, Absalom has been crowned king in Hebron. He took 200 men from Jerusalem with him as guests, but they knew nothing of his intentions. While Absalom was offering the sacrifices, he sent for Ahithophel, one of David's counselors who lived in Gilo. Soon many others also joined Absalom, and the conspiracy gained momentum. Absalom has set this rebellion in motion. A messenger soon arrived in Jerusalem to tell David, All Israel has joined Absalom in a conspiracy against you. Then we must flee at once, or it will be too late, David urged his men. Hurry, if we get out of the city before Absalom arrives, both we and the city of Jerusalem will be spared from disaster. We are with you, his, revi- his advisors replied. Do what you think is best. And so they leave. He leaves ten of his house servants or concubines behind to look after the palace. The king and his whole entourage set off to the east. There are 600 men from Gath who had probably the ones who were fighting with David when Saul was chasing him out in the desert. Those 600 men are still together as a unit. And so David, or they come to David and they serve as his bodyguard. He tries to tell Ittai uh, to stay home. And Ittai says, nah, not going to do that. He says, I'm going to go protect you. David says, okay. Verse 23, everyone's crying loudly and the king and the follow, as the king and his followers passed by. And they crossed the Kidron Valley and went out toward the wilderness. So if you, when you go to Israel and you leave Jerusalem, you'll leave it from the east and you'll go down into the Kidron Valley and then you, you can go up onto the Mount of Olives. When you go up on the Mount of Olives, over on the other side of the Mount of Olives is the wilderness, which is nasty. It's called the wilderness. (laughs) It is the moon. So this is the path they're taking. They've left through the east. They're going down the Kidron Valley. They're coming up on the other side through the Mount of Olives. So they go. Everyone's crying. Zadok and all the Levites came along carrying the Ark of the Covenant of God. They set down the Ark of God and Abiathar offered sacrifices until everyone had passed out of the city. And then David says to Zadok, take the ark back. What is he probably thinking or reflecting on? Remember back in the time of Eli? And they took the ark of the covenant as a lucky charm, you know, to help them in their battle. And that didn't work and the ark got captured. So what does David say? Take it back. Take it back to the city. Put it back in the tabernacle. What's his reason? If the Lord sees fit, David said, he will bring me back to see the ark and the tabernacle again. But if he is through with me, then let him do what seems best to him. The squeeze is beginning to be applied. The king also told Zadok the priest, look, here's my plan. You and Abiathar should return quietly to the city 
And you need to listen in, and you need to send your sons to tell me what's happening, basically. David, verse 30, continues to walk up the road to the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went. His head was covered and his feet were bare as a sign of mourning. And the people who were with him covered their heads and wept as they climbed the hill. When someone told David that his advisor Ahithophel was now backing Absalom, David prayed, O Lord, let Ahithophel give Absalom foolish advice. When David reached the summit of the Mount of Olives where people worshipped God, we're assuming he went up there to worship, Hushai the Archite was waiting there for him. And Hushai is going to go in as a, another part of David's plan to frustrate Ahithophel's counsel. So David's friend Hushai, verse 37, returned to Jerusalem, getting there just as Absalom arrived. When David had gone a little beyond the summit of the Mount of Olives, Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, was waiting there for him. He had two donkeys loaded with 200 loaves of bread, 100 clusters of raisins, 100 bunches of summer fruit, and a wineskin full of wine. What are these for? The king asked Ziba. Ziba replied, the donkeys, etc., etc., etc. Ziba was Mephibosheth's servant. So if you're David, you're scratching your head. Hmm. Did Mephibosheth send you? Where is Mephibosheth? So he asks him. Where is Mephibosheth, Saul's grandson, the king asked him. He stayed in Jerusalem, Ziba replied. He said, today I will get back the kingdom of my grandfather Saul. In that case, the king told Ziba, I give you everything Mephibosheth owns. I bow before you, Ziba replied. May I always be pleasing to you, my lord, the king. He goes on a little further. He meets a guy named Shimei. As he comes into Bahurim, a man came out of the village cursing them. That's always a good sign. It was Shimei, son of Gera, from the same clan as Saul's family. He threw stones at the king and the king's officers and all the mighty warriors who surrounded him. Now, another, so in this wilderness, which when you see it, you could stand up on things and you could throw rocks at people. I mean, this was your sitting ducks. And he starts yelling at him, get out of here, you murderer, you scoundrel, he shouted to David. The Lord is paying you back for all the bloodshed in Saul's clan. You stole his throne, and now the Lord has given it to your son Absalom. At least you will taste some of your own medicine, for you are a murderer. And I love, I love these guys. Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king, Abishai, son of Zeruiah, demanded? Let me go over and cut off his head. No, the king said, who asked your opinion, you sons of Zeruiah? If the Lord has told him to curse me, who are you to stop him? The squeeze. Then David said to Abishai and all his servants, my own son is trying to kill me. Doesn't this relative of Saul have even more reason to do so? Leave him alone and let him curse, for the Lord has told him to do it. And perhaps the Lord will see that I am being wronged and will bless me because of these curses today. So David and his men continue down the road. Shimei keeps following them and throwing rocks at them and stuff. 
The king and all who were with him grew weary along the way, so they rested when they reached the Jordan. That's a long journey. Meanwhile, Absalom and all the army arrived at Jerusalem, accompanied by Ahithophel. Remember who Ahithophel is. He's Bathsheba's grandfather. <laughs> Remember that? Oh. Is it any wonder Ahithophel is jumping, changing sides here? So Absalom, uh, he, he comes in, and when David's friend Hushai the archite arrived, he went immediately to see Absalom. Long live the king, he exclaimed. Long live the king. Is this the way you treat your friend David? Absalom asked him. Why aren't you with him? I'm here because I belong to the man who was chosen by the Lord and by all the men of Israel, Hushai replied. And anyway, why shouldn't I serve you? Just as I was your father's advisor, now I will be your advisor. Then Absalom turned to Ahithophel and asked him, what should I do next? And Ahithophel said, well, first go and sleep with your father's concubines, for he's left them here to look after the palace. Then all Israel will know that you have insulted your father beyond hope of reconciliation, and they will throw their support to you. So Absalom figured that was a good idea, and he did that. What a shock. Absalom followed Ahithophel's advice, just as David had done, for every word Ahithophel spoke seemed as wise as though it had come directly from the mouth of God. Now Ahithophel urged Absalom, let me choose 12,000 men and let me go get David. He's upset. He's out of his mind. Let me take 12,000 men. We'll hunt David down. We'll kill him. And he's the only guy we need dead. And then I'll bring everybody else back to you. This is what Ahithophel says, basically. Verse 7 of chapter 17. Because uh, Absalom says, well, let's ask Hushai. Well, Hushai replied to Absalom, this time Ahithophel has made a mistake. You know your father and his men, they are mighty warriors. Right now they are as enraged as a mother bear who's been robbed of her cubs. And remember that your father is an experienced man of war. He won't be spending the night among the troops. He's probably already hidden in some pit or cave. And when he comes out and attacks a few of your men, and a few of your men fall, there will be panic among your troops, and the word will spread that Absalom's men are being slaughtered. Then even the bravest soldiers, though they have the heart of a lion, will be paralyzed with fear. For all Israel knows what a mighty warrior your father is and how courageous his men are. And so he recommends that you mobilize the entire army of Israel. And I advise that you personally, Absalom, lead the army. Oh, yeah, kind of like the sound of that. <laughs> I like the sound of going up on the roof, and I kind of like the sound of leading the whole army of Israel. I kind of like that. When we find David, we'll fall on him like dew that falls on the ground, and neither he nor any of his men will be left alive. And if David were to escape into some town, you'll have all Israel there at your command. Then we can take ropes and drag the walls of the town into the nearest valley until every stone is torn down. Then Absalom and all the men of Israel said, Hushai's advice is better than Ahithophel's. For the Lord had determined to defeat the council of Ahithophel, which really was the better plan, so that he could bring disaster on Absalom. So Hushai sends word to, a, to get it to David. Um, 
And so there's a fun little thing that the boys have to hide, and then they finally get to David, um, and they get across the Jordan. Uh, verse 23 of 17 uh, let's start 22. So David and all the people with him went across the Jordan River during the night, and they were all on the other bank before dawn. So they achieved a measure of safety. Verse 23, when Ahithophel realized that his advice had not been followed, he saddled his donkey, went to his hometown, set his affairs in order, and hanged himself. He died there and was buried in the family tomb. Now, did he do that out of pride? Maybe. Or did he understand what God was doing well enough to know that God was frustrating his counsel and that the next thing he would meet would be the end of David's sword? Because David will kill him as soon as they come back. Don't know. David soon arrived at Mahanaim. By now, Absalom had mobilized the entire army of Israel and was leading, the crew, leading his troops across the Jordan River. And he appoints different people to leave. And David meets up with uh, his old friend Shobi uh, when he is in Mahanaim. And they uh, take care of their, um, you know, their food and drink needs. Chapter 18, David now mustered the men who were with him and appointed generals and captains to lead them. And he sends them off to go do things. And the last thing he says... Well, remember, he says, and I'm going to go with you. And they say, no, you're not. You're staying here. And David says, well, if you think that's the best plan, I'll do it. So he stands alongside the gate. And by the way, he says, as you're headed out, deal for my sake, deal gently with young Absalom. And all the troops heard the king give this order to his commanders. So the battle begins. 20,000 men lose their lives that day. During the battle, they're off in the forest. During the battle, Absalom happened to come upon some of David's men. He tried to escape on his mule. Not known to be the fastest creatures, probably, but he tries to escape on his mule. But as he rode beneath the thick branches of a great tree, his hair got caught in the tree. His mule kept going and left him dangling in the air. One of David's men saw, saw what had happened excuse me, and told Joab, I saw Absalom dangling from a great tree. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Commander, commander, I got something to tell you. I see Absalom hanging. He's dangling from a tree. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, his hair is caught in the tree. <laughs> and Joab says, you saw him there and didn't kill him? I would have rewarded you with 10 pieces of silver and a hero's belt. I would not kill the king's son for even a thousand pieces of silver, the man replied to Joab. We all heard the king say to you and Abishai and Ittai, for my sake, please spare young Absalom. And if I had betrayed the king by killing his son, and the king would certainly find out who did it, you yourself would be the first to abandon me. Enough of this nonsense, Joab said. He takes three daggers and he kills Absalom. Then ten of Joab's young armor bearers surround Absalom and make sure that he's dead. Joab blows the ram's horn. His men return from chasing the army. They threw Absalom's body into a deep pit in the forest and piled a great heap of stones over it. And all Israel fled to their homes. Oh, yes, they did. <laughs> During his lifetime, Absalom had built a monument to himself in the king's valley. 
For he said, I have no son to carry on my name. He named the monument after himself, and it is known as Absalom's Monument to this day. A little more insight into Absalom. So then they've got to tell David the news, and so two runners go to tell David the news. One of them gets there first, the other gets there second. The second one, likely an Ethiopian, says at the end of chapter 18, May all your enemies, my lord the king, both now and in the future, share the fate of that young man. The king was overcome with emotion. He went up to the room over the gateway and burst into tears. And as he went, he cried, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Word soon reached Joab that the king was weeping and mourning for Absalom. As all the people heard of the king's deep grief for his son, the joy of that day's victory was turned into deep sadness. They crept back into town that day as though they were ashamed and had deserted in battle. The king covered his face with his hands and kept on crying, Oh, my son Absalom! Oh, Absalom, my son, my son! And Joab goes and has a little conversation with the king. Uh, He says, you'd better get out there right now, or I swear not one soldier will be left in this entire nation. They're all going to leave. So the king takes his, goes out and he takes his seat at the town gate. News spread throughout the town that he was there and everyone went to him. Meanwhile, the Israelites who had supported Absalom fled to their homes. And there was much discussion and argument going on. And then David sends Zadok and Abiathar, the priests, to the elders of Judah, his tribe, You know, why are you the last ones to welcome me back to the palace? And so now there begins this political maneuvering on who's going to help David come back across the Jordan, back to his palace. So uh, Amasa convinced all the men of Judah, and they responded unanimously. They sent word to the king, return to us and bring back all who are with you, because they're going to escort him. So the king started back to Jerusalem. When he arrives at the Jordan, the people of Judah came to Gilgal to meet him and escort him across the river. Oh, look who's here. Shimei, son of Gera, the man from Bahurim in Benjamin, hurried across with the men of Judah to welcome King David. A thousand other men from the tribe of Benjamin were with him, including Ziba, the chief servant of the house of Saul, and Ziba's 15 sons and 20 servants. They rushed down to the Jordan to meet the king. They crossed the shallows of the Jordan to bring the king's household across the river, helping him in every way they could. As the king was about to cross the river, Shimei falls down before him. My lord, the king, please forgive me, he pleaded. Forget the terrible thing your servant did when you left Jerusalem. May the king put it out of his mind. I know how much I sinned. That is why I've come here today, the very first person in all Israel, to greet my lord, the king. Then Abishai. I just love Abishai. He says, Shimei should die, for he cursed the Lord's anointed king. Who asked your opinion, you sons of Zeruiah? David says again. Why have you become my adversary today? This is not a day for execution, but for celebration. Today I am once again the king of Israel. And turning to Shimei, David vowed, your life will be spared. Now Mephibosheth, Saul's grandson, comes to Jerusalem to meet the king. He hadn't uh, taken care of himself ever since the king left. 
Uh, and so the king asks him, why didn't you come with me, Mephibosheth? My lord the king, my servant Ziba deceived me. I told him, saddle my donkey so I can go with the king, for as you know, I'm crippled. Ziba has slandered me by saying that I refuse to come. But I know that my lord the king is like an angel of God, so do what you think is best. All my relatives and I could expect, uh, all my relatives and I could expect only death from you, but my lord, but instead you have honored me by allowing me to eat at your own table. What more can I ask? You've said enough, David replied. I've decided that you and Ziba will divide your land equally between you. Give him all of it, Mephibosheth said. I am content just to have you safely back again, my lord the king. And then one of his good friends comes and um, he says, I'm too old to go with you, but here, uh, take you know, maybe my son with you and uh, do to him whatever you think uh, is good. And so the king says, Kim Ham will go with me and I will help him in any way uh, or in any way you would like and I'll do for you anything you want. So all the people crossed the Jordan with the king. After David had blessed Barzillai and kissed him, Barzillai returned to his home. Then the king crossed over to Gilgal, taking Kim Ham with him. All the troops of Judah and half the troops of Israel escorted the king on his way. What do you know? Israel and Judah are arguing. But all the men of Israel complained to the king. that they, You stole him. And the men of Judah said, he's one of ours. You know, what's up with you? But there are ten tribes of Israel, the others replied. So we have ten times as much right to the king as you do. What right do you have to treat us with such contempt? Blah, 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 blah. Just get ready for this because this keeps on going. Point. David gets back to the palace as king. Phew. What a horrible story. It really is a horrible story. I want you to look at David's heart, especially in the squeeze. You say, what does it look like? David is called a man after God's own heart or a man with God's heart. I want you to see what that looks like. David is deceived and betrayed by his inner circle. He's abandoned by the people. He's plotted against by counterfeit leadership, but prayed and worshipped, though in pain. He's insulted by onlookers but waited on God's resolution. He was merciful and gracious to those who formerly insulted him, and he rewarded those who remained loyal to him. You want to know what it looks like to have God's own heart or to be a man or woman after God's own heart? This is what it looks like. Deceived and betrayed by his inner circle, abandoned by the people, plotted against by counterfeit leadership, but prayed and worshipped, though in pain. Insulted by onlookers, but waited on God's resolution. 
was merciful and gracious to those who formerly insulted him and then rewarded those who remained loyal to him. This is what it looks like to have God's own heart. When David's heart is squeezed in the vice of pain, it's the Savior's heart that's revealed to others. You want to see another man with God's own heart? Jesus is betrayed by Judas from his inner circle. He is abandoned by his disciples and the nation. He is plotted against by counterfeit leadership, but prayed and worshipped, though in agony. Insulted on the cross by onlookers, but waited three days for God's resolution. Was merciful and gracious to sinners who formerly scorned him, and he rewarded those with renewed loyalty to him. It's no wonder David is a man after God's own heart, because certainly Jesus was that, and David, in shadow form, (laughs) showed us what the Savior's heart would look like and be like. Some lessons from the Davids, David the Lesser and David the Greater, the Lord Jesus. These are truly men after God's own heart. They sacrificed so others wouldn't suffer or die. They surrendered themselves fully to God's will. They completely trusted God's promises to them. They prayed and worshipped even though in pain. They waited for God's resolution and vindication. They were merciful and gracious to those who formerly scorned them. And they rewarded those who remained loyal to them. When your heart is squeezed in the vice of pain, whose heart is revealed? When the sponge that is your heart is squeezed in that painful grip of circumstances, and what's in that sponge is going to be released and revealed, what's the heart that comes out? Squeezed in the vice of pain, in the midst of emotional or relational pain, like some of the individuals that I talked about in the very beginning, an employee or a partner stealing a client or even taking the whole business. Some of you know what this is like. These are not words on a screen to you. You have been in this hand. You have been in this squeeze. How about an employee who's unjustly assassinating you or stealing your ideas and calling them their own? Deception and or betrayal in your marriage. 
a wayward son or daughter or grandson or granddaughter. A strained family or work relationship. Being out of work, feeling unwanted, but still looking desperately. Squeezed. The sponge is being squeezed. And you could fill in a lot of other things in this point. No one raise your hand, but uh, has life worked out for you recently? I don't want you to go back forever. In the past month, life worked out for you the way you thought it was going to work out? No hands. <laughs> no hands. Just in the past month, has life worked out the way you thought it was going to work out? And you felt, you felt that hand of painful circumstances start kind of squeezing that sponge. How do we have the heart of the Savior? First, let go of what they, they want to take. Let it go. Whoever they is, whatever they want, let go of what they want to take. 2 Samuel 16, 11 through 14. Then David said to Abishai and to all his servants, My own son is trying to kill me. Doesn't this relative of Saul have even more reason to do so? Leave him alone and let him curse, for the Lord has told him to do it. And perhaps the Lord will see that I'm being wronged and will bless me because of these curses today. How does David respond when they... They is Absalom, when they want the kingdom. What does David do? He lets it go. Into whose hands does he place it? God's. 1 Corinthians 6, 1 through 8. Paul talks about some Christians who were suing one another within that church. And he says, isn't it better to be wronged than to do this foolishness you're doing? Isn't it better to be wronged? We have to be able to walk away but defend ourselves if we're attacked. Saul fought desperately to hold on to what God was taking away from him. David put the good and safety of others ahead of his own and walked away without a fight. The exception to this is a spouse or a family member. Remember when we covered Jacob? And the boys were upset that they had mistreated Dinah and Jacob isn't doing anything? Remember the boys are angry? Point. There are some things worth fighting for, Jacob, and you're not fighting they were right to be angry with Jacob. He should have been fighting for his family. So there's an exception when it's a spouse or a family member. You fight for that. But let go of what they want to take. 
surrender your will in the matter. You know Matthew 26, 36 to 46, the Lord is in the garden. Three times he pleads, pleads with the Lord, pleads with his Father. But how does he conclude it? Not my will, but yours. Hold everything with an open hand. Your roles, rights, financial security, dreams, expectations, your imagined future, etc. Hold it with an open hand. And pray and worship. Some of you will remember um, The Purpose Driven Life. Rick Warren wrote that more than a decade ago now, probably. He's got a, a little quote I'm going to read to you. He says, The situations that will stretch your faith most will be those times when life falls apart and God is nowhere to be found. This happened to Job. On a single day, he lost everything, his family, his business, his health, and everything he owned. Most discouraging, for 37 chapters, God said nothing. How do you praise God when you don't understand what's happening in your life and God is silent? How do you stay connected in a crisis without communication? How do you keep your eyes on Jesus when they're full of tears? You do what Job did. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. When you feel abandoned by God, yet continue to trust him, you worship him in the deepest way. When they want to take something from you, and you say, Lord, if you've given and you'd like to take, blessed be your name. I will continue to pray and worship for you are worthy. My hand is open. Pray and worship when you feel abandoned by God, yet continue to trust him. You worship him in the deepest way. You need to let go of what they want to take, surrender your will in the matter, pray and worship and trust God's promises. Hebrews 13.5 I will never leave you or forsake you. Matthew 6.33 Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added to you. Romans 12.19-21 You know what that one is? little more obscure. Okay. I don't hear any volunteers. 
So Romans 12. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Or how about Romans 8, 18 to 39. Long one. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. Sometimes we have to ask ourselves, do we really believe that? And he goes on. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. He knows how to intercede for us. Verse 31, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? And I am convinced, verse 38, that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. These are God's promises to you and to me. For what times? The times when you're in the vice. When you're being squeezed. Let go of what they want to take. Surrender your will in the matter. Pray and worship. Trust God's promises. Wait for God's resolution. Anyone like that one? I don't care for that one either. But this is what the scriptures over and over instruct us to do. I can scheme or I can wait. And if God brings about a reversal in your favor, then be merciful and gracious to those who formerly scorned you. Just like David, just like the Lord Jesus. Because both rewarded those who remained loyal to them. Whose heart do people see when your heart is being squeezed? Yours or Jesus' heart? There are people who watch your life. They know your relationship with Christ. They know you go to another great church or you go to Christ Chapel. And when bad things happen to you, who they think is a good person, what are they watching? They want to know if what you believe makes any difference in your life. They don't want your place. They don't want to be squeezed. But they want to see, man, 
that person is getting squeezed and squeezed hard. I'm going to see if what they believe is of any benefit to them. Because I know I, I would fall apart if I were in this squeeze. I don't know what I would do, but I would come apart at the seams. I want to see how they're going to handle this because they say they're a Christian. Whose heart do people see when your heart is being squeezed? Yours or Jesus' heart? For next week, read Psalms 3, 4, 6, 41, 55, 61, 62, and 63. We're going to look at the Psalms that David wrote likely during this period of time. So when you see David, he, he runs, and we see the resolution of it. What we haven't seen is what is, let's hear from David during this time, and he writes some Psalms during this period of time, which are very insightful and very helpful particularly if you or someone you know is being squeezed right now. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you. You have never left us or forsaken us. The Lord Jesus has gone uh, everywhere before us, and all he asks us to do is follow in the footprints he's already left. There's no place you will take us that he has not first been and therefore able to help us and to minister us as a great high priest who knows our situation, who knows our circumstances, who knows the pain that we're experiencing. He's already walked all of those places ahead of us. And we collectively and individually thank you for the Lord Jesus uh, this evening. What an amazing Savior you have given us. And we thank you for your Holy Spirit who knows how to intercede for us when we can't even pray, who's at work transforming our lives when we're working with you and even when we're standing against you. He is always at work doing good in us and for us and through us. And so we thank you, Father, for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for your word. It is truth. And it divides uh, what we might imagine is truth from truth and helps us to see ourselves more clearly uh, through the lenses of your word. And I'm grateful for all of my friends, my brothers and sisters here, the ones that I walk with, uh, who do encourage me and who do exhort me from time to time to see things that I don't see about myself and that I need to bring to you. So thank you for their love for me and for their um, their desire to see me grow. Uh, you've given us so many uh, wonderful helps in yourself and in your word and in your people. Um, all we can do this evening with full and grateful hearts is say thank you. And so we do say thank you. I pray for those who even tonight, uh, whether they're hearing this taped or they're out here right now, uh, if their heart right now is being squeezed in the vice, I pray that you would encourage them with this lesson, that there are things that uh, they would be able to double down on uh, and trust you and particularly pray and worship, uh, even in the midst of pain. Uh, that seems to be uh, particularly sweet to you, and I pray that they would be blessed 
uh, for doing that. So thank you for uh, everything. We pray for a great week this week. May you keep our eyes on Jesus, who is the reason for this season. And we love him and pray for each other and for our week in Jesus' name. Amen.